0: Heaven proudly brings to you Basketball Hustle, featuring your host, the writer Chris Pike and the scoring machine, Sean Reddish. Now it's time for another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Where right in the middle of the off season of the NBL, obviously, but given everything we're dealing with with COVID nineteen, given all of the talk still around the basketball world right now, plenty still for us to talk about here on on Basketball Hustle. So I'm Chris Pike, the co-host, ready to get into another episode. We've got a special guest ready to go as well, which I'm really looking forward to. Somebody that that both myself and and my my co-host have a long history with. So without any further ado, let's get straight into. Scoring machine, Sean, ready? How do I find you this week? Yeah,
1: a little bit same uh, Groundhog Day. I tell you what, (laughs) my yard and the house has never looked better. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, just getting a lot of things done that we haven't had time to in the past. So, but I am looking forward to a little bit of normalcy, um, getting back out on the basketball court. Hopefully, with the way things are going, sooner rather than later.
0: To me, you don't seem like a natural gardener or a handyman how do you how do you go when you're outside of the house do you do you get the job done
1: yeah no i I do do all i do look forward to uh you know growing up uh, my parents used to always make me uh cut our lawn and we had a soccer field next to our house so you know you would be spending hours having to uh having to mow the lawn and i always said no i don't want a big yard Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, we don't have too too much of grass, but I do enjoy just getting outside and feel the smell of uh, cutting some fresh grass. That uh, mm-hmm. brings back the childhood.
0: Yeah, I remember. I remember talking to you about that for the book about this the soccer soccer field that was the the place to be for everyone in your in your area there when you were growing up. So you're you're not immune to to a bit a bit of outside work. Are you, are you and Dylan still hitting the hitting the basketball court on the driveway too? Yeah, we do. We've uh, the uh,
1: the basketball hoop is getting uh, a lot of work out. Usually, uh, a couple times a day. Out there on the driveway, putting up some shots. So it's uh, you know a great chance to get outside. You know, if you're a young player out there um, or a parent, listen to this. I you know this time is actually a pretty good time to actually really develop the, the skill level of a kid. So um, you know, a chance to not always you don't get to, to play in the games, but you can uh, really uh, up your skill level in, in a quick period of time.
0: Yeah, it's a great point. Even for professionals as well. I imagine in this period, if you were, if this was ten years ago, you would have taken this chance as a player to improve areas of your game and try to get an advantage over some of your opponents who perhaps might not be working as hard during this period. Would you be really putting in a lot of effort right now if this was was ten years ago and you had this opportunity to 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 work on different parts of your game?
1: think there's you know there's a it is a chance to you know you don't have a lot of other commitments so uh if this is your uh full-time gig and you're a uh a professional basketball player um you know pick pick one or two skills that you you want to improve on um you don't have the the rigors of a lot of other commitments so it's a, a chance to uh to get better and probably you know try and strengthen some of those weaknesses in your game, um, especially if you're a young player as well. It's a uh, it's, it's it's a great opportunity, and I've seen a lot of at home workouts and people posting stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's great to see. You know, basketball is one of those sports that kind of lends towards um, skill development yeah. as well, um, and being able to do something at your house and, and in your own driveway.
0: Yeah, the big news of this week, of course, was at the Perth Wildcats, and it was Bryce Cotton. Opting out of his contract for for this upcoming NBL season, you would think a a big reason for that is the fact that he's had to take a fifty percent pay cut. So I don't think anyone can can blame him for making the decision that he's made. What was your reaction when you you heard the news?
1: I actually thought it was it was to be expected. You know, I thought yeah. as soon as um as soon as the the league came out and said fifty percent pay cut, you knew a guy like Bryce Cotton. Who might have produced you know the greatest fastball we've seen in a three four year stretch ever yep. um here in Australia and uh you know he he's obviously in his prime he's just led this wallcat team to three titles in the last four years, so you know for them to you know, and he was probably taking a pay cut just to play here as well, so then mm-hmm. to add on a fifty percent pay cut. Is a uh yeah. is a tough one. He, you know he's got a, a partner and a and a child now, so it's it's one of those things. And, and you know, and let's be honest, he's probably got about the next four or five years to really maximize his earnings as a professional oh. basketball player. So it's not surprising to me. I Actually, was a little surprised with, with Trevor Gleason's comments that he said that kind of took him took him by surprise. I wouldn't mm. have thought. Um, I would have thought that that would have been a, a real possibility, knowing there was that 50% take cut. And he was probably he, he probably lost the most out of that. Not sure if he had a vote in you know, on it. Doesn't I, I <laughs> highly doubt he did have a vote on whether yeah. uh take that that 50% take cut. But it's a it's a it's a huge loss, not only for the Wildcats, but I think for the league and the fans of, of basketball here in the country.
0: Yeah, the reaction from the club was a little bit surprising. The initial media release that they put out on on the Thursday, it, it took a couple of little little jibes towards, towards Bryce and showing their unhappiness, which I think given everything he's provided the club in the last three and a half years, I don't think that was necessary, especially when I, I think it's only common sense that anyone that's asked to take a 50% pay cut, no matter what walk of life you're in, you'd have to consider other options. Um, then yeah, for, for trevor to be surprised I think was was surprising as well um but but you know that wildcats organization pretty well how How much would this be stinging them inside the the club right now?
1: Well, it hurts I mean you just don't find a Bryce cotton walking around the street um ready to play on um, uh any day, so it's going to be tough to replace him, and I think, you know, Trevor Gleason's already kind of said that, That look, you're not going to be able to find one person to replace a Bryce Cotton, and the team has kind of been built around him over the last couple of years as well. They've, uh, you know, haven't needed that score in the center position. They haven't needed God that can go out and create his own shot in the three-man. They just needed a a, almost a pure shooter to kind of space the floor, so it's going to change their their recruiting structure and how they they go about it. And I guess, you know, it sounded like from the press conference as well that Greg Gleason, he wasn't upset with Bryce Cotton. I think he understood. The realities of it, um, which I really liked. I liked that he came out and backed Bryce in this. He was actually more upset with the fact that Bryce had to take a 50% pay cut. You know, yeah. he didn't really agree with, with those restrictions and, and especially this early. And we talked about this the yeah. last time that it just seemed like you went to extreme, um, measures when it may not have been needed. And do you lose a guy of the caliber of Bryce Cotton forever to this league because they jumped a the gun, um, you know, four or five months earlier than, than they may have needed to. Um, we don't know what it's going to look like in October, November, yeah. December. So, um, it'll be a shame if, uh, if, if we lose a, a guy like Bryce Cotton. And I expect he won't be the last one, um, of the upper caliber of players in, in this league.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's just like what we talked about um, on it, on our last show. Uh, the fact that they've made this call so early that they're expecting to lose so much revenue that they've had to cut their costs, which is why they've asked the players to take the pay cut. But if if we're allowed crowds by, by you know whether it's November, December, January when the season's up and going and, and the revenue the clubs are making is actually pretty similar to what it was 12 months earlier, then there was no actual need for these players to take a pay cut. And the the other great point you made is that Bryce Cotton's not going to be the last one. Do you expect any of Casper Ware, Sean Long, Mello Trimble, Lamar Patterson, Scott Machado, Cam Oliver? Do you expect any of those caliber of players to be, to be playing in the NBL next season?
1: It's going to be tough. I mean, I guess it's a bit of unknown. I suspect that a lot of those guys will opt out if they... Um, mm if they had agreed or had contracts in place and they'll wait, you know, uh, who knows if the NBA summer league will go ahead. Um So guys that have a resume are going to be in more demand as well over, they in the higher paying countries because they know what they're going to get. Whereas taking a punt on a guy just coming out of college who I suspect that's where we're going to get a lot more imports next year. You're in the NBL at the, you know, with the Aussie dollar exchange rate hovering around 60, 65 mm-hmm. cents. It makes it a, a bit tougher. Um, whereas a few years ago, you know, we were close to parity. So, um, yeah. you know, the amount they can pay and then you take, you know, we haven't heard what the salary cap is going to be, but going to be significantly less than it was this, this last year. So it's a, um, it's a tough one. It, you know what? The NBL could actually be in a stronger position. Um, if, if you think about it, I mean, no mm. fans are going to be allowed to go to the games, I suspect, for the next couple months. So yeah. they're going to be itching to go out and yeah. be at a live sporting event. Hopefully, yeah. um, later this year, if, if everything goes, goes, um, the way that it has been trending over the last, you know, six weeks, and um, you know, people are going to want to get out and and watch a lot of sports, so the NBL could actually be in a better position and do you, you know, what happens then? I mean, those guys that took a 50% pay cut, Mm. are they allowed to you know, if, if, if the Wildcats are still drawing thirteen thousand fans, um, I don't see where where that plays. I, you know, it just seems yes. like it was a bit early, and uh, hopefully, we we haven't lost a lot of our our great players in the way. I mean, you you and I both watched the the talent in the league to be able to draw. Uh, Andrew Bogut and you know Bryce Cotton, who even Trevor Gleason said yesterday should be playing in NBA. We've we've got NBA talented players here playing, so hopefully um, we could still draw those those players out here because I think it's it's been a huge coup for the league over the last few years.
0: Now, yeah, of course, these players can only leave if they actually have. Somewhere else to go, where they can find, I guess, a better paying contract at least for for the next twelve months. Um, is do you, do you feel like they they're going to be able to do that? Do you feel like Europe will be opened up in time for them to be able to offer you know good money contracts again? Is the G League getting to a point where they're starting to offer, I guess, more money to players as well? And if you're Bryce Cotton, where do you see he him ending up if he doesn't if he doesn't if he does in fact end up leaving Perth?
1: Look, I, I think he's, he's NBA caliber, so I mm-hmm. wouldn't be—I wouldn't put it put it past him to be able to get a, an opportunity in the NBA. We don't know what that's going to look like next year, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if he's not in the NBA, he's going to be in a high-level Europe team, and probably from from all accounts, earning you know considerably more than he than he could have earned here and yeah. you know and then a 50% pay cut so even Trevor Gleason said 2-3 tons more which is um, you know I think if you're Bryce Cotton he loved playing in Australia loved playing for the wall of cats and um, you know but only you know when you've got a short Tom as a as a professional sportsman, you gotta make the most of it. And uh you know, I think uh as, as tough as it is to uh leave a team that you that you love so much and in the history, I think you know, he's probably making the right decision and um exploring that. And he can always come back. I think they always mm-hmm. said that the door is open for him. But that's the other thing I don't I don't really understand. If Bryce wants to come back on his original deal, can hmm. he? It, it sounds like he can. He has he to take can. that future yeah. percent pay cut, but I don't understand how that is even allowed in the labor hmm. agreements. It, it, you know, I would have thought if, if the Wildcats are willing to pay him this full amount, he should be able to to, um, to accept that um, later down the track. But I guess that's yeah. um, that's something for for the NBL and um, maybe the Wildcats to explore. Uh, at, at a later date if that, if, it, if it becomes available.
0: Yeah, I think part of the agreement for the pay cut that the Players Association agreed to was the fact that it then allowed the players to opt out of their contract but then also have the opportunity that if they couldn't find another job elsewhere that they still had the security to be able to come back to that contract should they choose to. Um, but that's where it's tricky. What if What if Bryce continues to look for another job until, I don't know, October? He doesn't find another job, and then he decides he wants to come back to his Wildcats contract. And what if the Wildcats already got got their roster full? What what happens then? It's a it's a little bit of a gray area to me right now. I think.
1: Yeah, it is, and and I, I, the article I read um, on the NBL website kind of stated to the fact that once the Wildcats sign their import for next year, or once they've signed all ten players. Yeah, they actually lose the right to Bryce Cotton. Oh,
2: okay, okay.
1: So then he actually becomes a free agent to any other club. Mm, so okay. it's an interesting one. How long do the have to wait uh, to sign their full ten players if there's a chance they could get Bryce Cotton back? And then mm. you throw in the um, it hasn't really clarified the Australian citizenship stuff um, as well. So uh, yeah. that's a, another one to um, to think about and. And from Bryce's point of view, I mean makes him even more valuable um to sure. any club out there. you imagine Bryce Cotton as a naturalized australian it would uh, <laughs> be almost unfair
0: <laughs> well it was like when you know similar to when Ricky Grace did the same thing, similar to when you did the same thing it it opens up a whole lot of more opportunities for you, for your for your team um yeah i mean it, 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 there's just so much unknown right now, and also now the free agency period, it was originally meant to be starting or starting, starting now. It was meant to be starting at the start of May, having already been delayed, and now it's been pushed back a further two months until July 1. What sort of impact is that going to have?
1: Yeah, we find a, a lot of guys um, Yeah, will just kind of be waiting. I guess the rest of the world is kind of waiting to see what's going to happen and when things are going to open up. So, you know, it's, uh, I guess it's not... Not a, a, a total shock. I, I I'm surprised it's that long. You know, I thought yeah. maybe they would just add another month and then if they needed to, but to come out and say, oh, we're just going to wait till July and see how this all plays out. I mean, maybe it's it's smarter just to kind of push it out farther than you think you need. Yeah. Um, give all parties a um, an agreement on um, on how it's all going to operate. But you know, for those guys that are sitting there without a contract, it's um, it, it's pretty tough. I reckon. It's, yeah. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. I mean, most of the clubs would be paying players through June. So, you know, you don't know what's happening come July. And it's probably not the best environment to go out and find another job at the moment as well. So, you know, something we haven't talked about as well is my understanding is the NBL clubs would be eligible for the JobKeeper payments for their players. Um, <laughs> there's some, you know, small business... Um, Grant, I think up to 100 grand. I think they would be eligible for that. They would be eligible for, obviously, they've gotten rid of the third import, which, you know, I I think that that's probably a smart, from a a money point of view, from the league and and everything. Um, So you've got those three things right there. I mean, right there is probably a couple hundred grand savings to these clubs. So.
0: Well, in general, you're going to be paying a local player less than an import, aren't you? Most clubs.
1: Yeah, but, and they're also reducing the, the size from 11th yeah, exactly. player. Yeah, So you're, you're, you don't have to pay that 11th player, which was an import. So you, you know, 100, 150 plus, you know, some of the measures. I mean, you're probably saving in the three to four hundred thousand dollar range already with some of the things. So that's, that's, I guess also you look at some of the cuts that the players agreed to, um, seems to be, um, a lot in uh in, mm. in this stage as well considering some of the other factors where these clubs um you know i'm, I'm sure they're they're hurting in membership was and that type of thing but th- this this period is a dead period as well oh, you don't make
2: money right now anyway
1: yeah. i would have thought you know revisit it come uh, later in the year i guess they they would want some insurance of, of what they're going to pay their players and that type of thing so but it's a uh, Something that I haven't heard anyone really talk about, but you know, yeah. there'd be some some things that um, you know already built in that to, to help help struggling businesses.
0: Now we've got a special guest on our show again this week, Sean as well, and somebody that you know, you know very well. He started his career, his NBL career, alongside you in in Perth. He won a championship with you. He ended up then heading over to the arch rivals in Adelaide, and you had some great battles there um, against him. And then up in Cairns as well, you had a couple of playoff battles against him as well, and and had had plenty of good contests and. And the two of you ended up sort of playing, playing as as opponents, matched up on each other quite a lot as well. And to me, there's a lot of similarities in in. I think both of you are the two hardest working players that I've I've ever seen off the court in in the NBL as well. So plenty for us to talk about. Stephen Way is the man that I'm talking about. What comes to mind when you when you think of Stevie?
1: Yeah, well, my first memories of Stevie Way, he, uh, you yeah, know, in college, he came over here and played against the Wildcats in the preseason when he was at University of mm. Utah, and he torched us. I think he yeah. had 30 points against us, and, uh, you know, really, uh, yeah, I guess opened the odds to everyone around here, and probably why the Wildcats went out and snatched him when he, uh, when he decided to leave University of Utah early. So, um, you know, as a as a young young kid coming in, he um he really impressed me, you know, you hit it right there. Um, you know, his just work ethic and uh his, his perfectionist Yeah. Um the way he went went about it was um was pretty impressive and, you know, I think you can be really proud of the career he he had and, and how he was able to maximize um, his opportunities and and Abilities out there at the highest level.
0: Yeah, I think that's so too. And yeah, he's he's moved on. He's a couple of years into his retirement now. Yeah, it's been an interesting ride for him since he's he's finished up his NBL career as well. So plenty for us to chat to him about. And let's get straight into it here on Hoop Heavens Basketball Hustle. Okay, welcome back here to Hoops Heavens basketball hustle and a, a great pleasure of mine to, to catch up with two guys at the same time who I spent a lot of time with during their playing careers, have enormous respect for the work that they put into their into their craft. I love love the chance to be around both of them and it's it's great to catch up with them both at the same time now and hopefully everyone enjoys hearing them catch up with each other as well. So so Stevie, thanks very much for joining us and I think you're back in Rockhampton now over in central Queensland and back with the family, back back in familiar territory and, and Hopefully hopefully you're in a pretty happy place in life.
2: Yeah, that's right, Pikey. Thanks very much for having me on and it's uh it's great to hear from yourself and uh and Shawnee as well.
1: Well Steve, I just wanted to uh give us um, you know, I guess give us an update on where you are at the moment, what what you're up to since um since we're trying it from the NBL and the Cannes fans a few years ago. Yeah,
2: so um speaking with uh, Pikey earlier Sean I think the last time I spoke with you was uh, my final game in the NBL over in Perth there uh, you were doing the court side commentary and um, yeah we, we had a we had a quick discussion there I think uh, prior to the game beginning but um, since then quite a bit to Quite a bit has happened. It seems like, um, you know, overnight it's gone very quickly. I, it seems like I've just woken up and all of a sudden I, uh, I understand the, the ins and outs of the automotive industry and, um, it, it is the family business. So I'm extremely lucky and privileged to have, um, to have the opportunity to be able to, to move into a business that's already set up and, and got the structure and the leadership around me. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's gone very quickly, and um, I didn't realise how much I had to learn until I was um, my head was underwater in the automotive industry.
0: Now, after you had dedicated so much of your life to basketball, and it had it had been such a driven passion of yours, did you did you have any idea what you wanted to do post your, post your basketball career And, and was Ian Toyota somewhere where you ever did imagine working when you were growing up?
2: Oh, Mikey, I couldn't think of anything worse growing up as a kid, um, you know, than working there, uh, at the at the B, at the dealership. Um first and foremost, Dad used to make me sweep the uh arts department every Saturday and Sunday, so um, I didn't have the fondest memories of, of being there as a young kid, but um, no, it's really funny. Perception is everything. I'm looking from the outside in. I never thought um, in a million years I, I would be involved, um, but then when I really got in there and, and got stuck in, um, I just started to realize how good again it was to have people around you that were motivated for the same reason. I guess the, the benefit of working together in a team uh, is something that I certainly took, probably took for granted whilst I was playing basketball. To be honest, it's just you do it. Um, it it's all you know whilst you're playing a team sport. You just um, you, you probably take it for granted, and uh, until it's taken away from you, you don't understand how much you rely on that support and um, you know having having those people around you that are equally as committed and and motivated to to a, a common cause. I guess.
1: And what's so and so what's your role there, um, at the uh, at the dealership?
2: Yeah, currently Shawnee, I'm in um, New Toyota Sales. So, um but really, we're we're consultants because as a Toyota Toyota dealership, we're extremely lucky. It's a fantastic product and it's um it's renowned worldwide. So really, we're um in the customer service industry, mate, and just trying to make the um the experience of purchasing or researching a new car um an extremely pleasurable experience. But um, I've been fortunate to have I guess had the experience in in multiple departments already. It's only been a year, been a year and a half, um and so I've gone into basically um pre-delivery which is um, everything that goes into getting a vehicle ready for showroom display uh, or delivery um, into stock control. So currently our, our, our little dealership has um, 500 plus uh, vehicles that um, we need to house, store and um Make sure we're not paying too much rent on each one of those units. So, um, I've had, I've had the privilege to have been able to, um, yeah, I guess test my hand and
1: try my hand in, in multiple departments already. Well, it, uh, sounds like, uh, you, you know, the business already in a year and a half and, uh, doing pretty well. How was that transition going from, you know, professional athlete to, uh, I guess, as, as they say, getting a, a real job is what uh, my kids were telling me. When are you, Dad? When are you going to get a real job? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how's that uh, How's that transition
2: been for you? Well, surely, first and foremost, um, with regards to the automotive industry, mate, I don't know the but um, it, it's incredible. We've got employees that have been involved in that particular business for 25 plus years. And. Um, it amazes me they still come to work excited, having learned something new on on a particular day. So I guess that's something for me that I look at and and it really excites me, and um, I'm excited for the future. But um, look, the transition was it was a difficult one. Um, as I I kind of touched on it earlier, mate. Um, just being around, I guess that built-in network in a team team sport environment. Um, I always thought I was a bit of a um, you know, I enjoyed my own company and, um, when I wasn't on the basketball court or training, I just enjoyed, um, getting away and, and, uh, just doing my own thing. But, um, yeah, it wasn't until I, I had that, I guess, didn't have that, um, inbuilt support network on a, on a daily basis, did I realize, um, just how much I depended on it. So it was a difficult transition, um, and it certainly has taken some um, getting used to. But uh, yeah, it's all it's all part of life, isn't it? And we're we're learning every day. So um, it, it's been great. Yeah, I think that's
1: the hard part for um, for athletes as well, because you just have everything set in stone. You know what your routine is. You're told to be here at a certain time, and you know, um, for guys like yourself and 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 myself um you know you took a lot of pride in making sure you were ready and and all of a sudden you've got this new found freedom but also you don't have those those, um things that you have to be doing and so you have to kind of figure it out pretty quickly it's a uh, it's a unique transition we've talked to a few athletes uh, on the show and i think it's 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 all the same that uh it's a um it's one of those things that you can prepare as much as you want but um until you're kind of thrown off the deep end um it, it's kind of seen for swim yeah absolutely right
0: how do you reflect on your journey now, Stevie, to play in the NBL? Sean talked about it just before we we got you on the line, and he remembered that when you came over to play for the University University of Utah against the Wildcats, that's when he first had, had a glimpse of what you were capable of. And the next year, you, you were teammates, and you know you spent you spent that time in, in Perth. You ended up winning the championship in 2010. You go to Adelaide and spend a, a few years there, where um, probably what you, you didn't have great team success, but you had a couple of great moments, especially. I remember that that first you know, a couple of wins in Perth that were pre- pretty memorable, and then you go up into up to Cairns and finish your career there. End up playing 127 games in Cairns and and create a great legacy there. How do you reflect on the 10 years of professional basketball that you played? Um,
2: very fondly. Mm. It was it was a fantastic 10 years, and um, you know as, as you said, Pikey, although there were um, certainly down moments, you can always learn something from those moments, and I certainly did. And and um, from time to time I reflect on I guess. The last year and a half, um, moving into another industry or another stage of my life, um, I reflect on some of those moments throughout my career and, uh, and how they've shaped me as a person and how they've really equipped me for for life after basketball. Um, Some of those experiences and moments are just invaluable uh, for the transition into life after basketball. And, um, yeah, it's really important that I I sat back and, I guess, um, just took note and and still trying to apply it from from day to day. But, um, you know, yeah... Fantastic experience over in Perth, um, followed by Adelaide, and then to finish the career in Cairns, three fantastic clubs, played with some absolutely um, incredible people, um, great support network, got to see the country and, and New mm-hmm. Zealand. Uh, so, really, I mean, extremely lucky to be able to have had the career that I did, and Finished when I was young, um, and now I'm moving into the new stage of my life where I, have, I know no, absolutely
0: nothing. <laughs> um, we've, I've I had the chance to speak, sit down, and talk to you about this a couple of times later in in your career, and I'm fascinated to get your thoughts now that, that you can look back on on your your playing playing days because I I saw. Having known you throughout your whole career, I saw such a great change in you. From when in those early years, especially in Perth, it looked like you're a little bit not is not the right word, but you were such a perfectionist that you were the hardest working player out there. But it was like you just wanted to be perfect, and if you were, if you didn't do everything on the court perfectly, it seemed to really get you down. You just couldn't let it go until you until you got it got it right until you were doing everything perfectly and and that must have really played on your mind and that must have been tough for, for that period but then by the last couple of years in Cairns I feel like what, whatever the reason was maybe it was working with Jody Maguire I'm not sure but you had seemed to have released the pressure on yourself and you'd become almost the ultimate teammate and leader on that team where you would just go out and happy to play your role but do whatever you had to do for the team without putting that pressure on yourself to be perfect all the time is, is that have I got it completely wrong is, or is that how you kind of feel in reflection As
2: well? I think it's probably just a reflection of um, my life and where I was at at certain points in my life. Um, Yeah, I mean, being a young player. Coming straight out of the college system into, into a professional environment. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think, uh, any young player would be, um, too dissimilar. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to get in there and make a name for yourself. Um, and everything is so important to what you do. And that's that it's basketball is everything, you know, it's, um, as you, as you evolve and you get older, I, I guess you start to value, um, other things in your life and, um, your perspective on life and basketball and, uh, friends and family. And all those sorts of things, they, they change. And you change with it. So um, I think it was really just a, a reflection of the stage of my life that I was in. And as I evolved, I started to, to value different things like, um, you know, really caring for my teammates and um, and making sure that we had a culture up there in Cairns um, that was conducive to success um, and and a good place to be around. Um, yeah, I, I just think it was a, a stage, or, you know, the, the cycle of I guess the stage of my my career that, that kind of just followed on from the beginning to the end.
1: Yeah, I think uh, yeah I was I, I was impressed I was impressed when you came came into the Wildcats and how you you fitted in and instantly just with your work ethic um, I thought it was uh, you know it it was it was pretty impressive especially for a, a young a young player which sometimes you know they kind of need to learn that's one of the things they need to learn that wasn't the case with you you uh, you know you wanted to get better and I think that's probably why uh, coaches love. Having you uh, on their team because you were such a, a great role model for for those guys, and then you know to be able to show those leadership qualities um, later on in your career as well. I think um, you know I think it was one of those things where teams uh, really valued your ability to to affect other other players on the team, and, and when you were on the court, I mean, guys had to had to respect uh, respect your abilities, and, and, and you know I thought um, you know later on in your career you. you um, you know, you just evolved your game as well and, and a really important piece and some of those, those great tie fans teams that uh, you know was always a great battle when, uh, whenever we, we faced you. Had, you had a couple, couple, couple questions I wanted to ask you and, and just guess for the listeners out there, who probably give us your top two or three toughest opponents that you played against um, throughout your uh, NBL career? Oh, say,
2: Sean. Um,
1: yeah, leave me, leave, leave me out. I don't know if I'm in there, but don't even, uh, that's not even a question. Uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm always curious to hear cause it's, it's different. It, it surprises me every time, but I, I love to ask this question. I know the listeners like to hear it as well. Well, Sean, you were certainly
2: one of my most admired. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but in terms of the toughest look, early on in my career, I think another one I admired and, uh, Kind of strive to was Kirk Penny um, when he was in his heyday. Mm. He was impossible to guard. He he'd, he'd tear off those screens and he wouldn't even have his body square and he'd be um, throwing up three pointers. You know, it, it seemed like that he uh, he could change the trajectory trajectory of his shot um, to to you know beat the outreach hand. Um, he was fantastic. That game two of the um, semifinals in
0: 2011. That was the most unstoppable individual performance, we've just about
2: saying. Oh, and I still remember a shot that he hit from the baseline. That was at the yeah. Old Challenge Stadium, uh, right in front of our home bench. And I still remember the shot that he hit. I believe it was um, an Isaiah Victor or a player along those lines, a long athletic player, known for their defense. And it was over an outstretched mm-hmm. hand. And this ball felt like, it seemed like it sat in the air for 10 seconds. That's how high he shot it. And it just landed yeah. nothing but net. But he had, had the capability of doing that. And, um, it, you know, it, I think, uh, Mika Vacona was another one. He, he was just a, the type of guy you knew when, if he'd, if he'd switched on to you you were in for a tough assignment. Um, probably easier just to pass the ball off and let someone else, let someone else go to work. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was another one that was, that was very difficult. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great to see, you know, kind of, Guys like Chris Gordy as well um, come into their own towards the end of my career. They kind of started to, to catapult themselves as um, as real valued players within within their teams and within the league, um, within the world game. And um, it was really cool to see see that type of uh, that type of involvement too.
1: Yeah, I think that there was. Um, yeah, you, you know, I think Kirk Penny. Um, yeah, I think he's, uh, really underrated and, uh, and how tough he was. And, you know, I think we used to scouting, you know, he, he was a world-class shooter, not just a great shooter. He was world-class. There's very few that could come off a screen, get their feet set, be on balance and be able to get a shot off that quick. It was, um, it was pretty remarkable. So I think you, you're spot on right there. The other one I wanted to ask you was about Tory Craig. Um, you know, you, you played with him in cans. um were, are you surprised at his success going into the NBA and, and how he's been able to adapt in, in that regard?
2: Uh, yeah, I was actually. I mean, in Cairns, he was always a big part of what we did. Um, he was a, he was an extremely valuable part of that push to the uh, the, the grand finals series where we lost um, in game in two games to New Zealand. But you know, he, he was he was a guy, and you see it all the time. He was a guy that came in all the natural gifts in the world, um, just needed some refining. And I think a guy like Aaron Fern, um, head coach at the time, did wonders for Tory Craig although Fernie was very hard on him Fernie's very hard on anyone it doesn't matter who you are Fernie's going to treat you the same and I think uh, you know instead of going in, into his shell credit to uh, Tory, he, he worked his tail off basically uh, and, and uh, days off he was in there grinding it out and um, yeah he basically he persevered worked his tail off and you know what he was a really good guy he was a great locker room guy as well um, nothing ever seemed to phase Tory. he wasn't a selfish guy so I I think when he moved from Cairns to Brisbane, um, as we were talking about before, I think it was just the next phase of his career, the next phase of his life. He'd had all those skills that he developed in Cairns, and he took them into a, you know, in a different environment and just excelled, went from strength to strength.
1: Yeah, it was. uh, You know, I'm probably in that same boat as well. I was surprised that, you know, I always thought he was a good player, and, uh, you know, he actually came off the bench um, behind you for for a lot of his career up there in Cairns, and, uh, uh, you kind of probably didn't have that consistency and maybe that was the fact that you know he wasn't playing the 30 35 minutes he was getting the 2025 20, um, but then uh, you know be able to get that opportunity with Brisbane and then now you know he's a he gets a lot of minutes in the NBA I think it probably goes to show how good the NBL is, is becoming over the years and and you know, we're getting guys that you know probably um, not not setting the league on fire. I don't think his, his stats. wouldn't. They weren't wild when he was in Cairns. Um But then to uh, you know you know playing in the NBA, I think it just shows the talent level that is in the NBL.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: And there were times
2: I was watching the NBL last year, thinking there is no way that I would still be competing at that level in <laughs> the NBL. I was extremely impressed with the the quality of play and, um, extremely happy for for some of the guys I see that have persevered, um, through some pretty tough times. I think, Shawnee, if you remember, I think it was, um, it may have been, I think it may have been the year that we won. It may, prior to that season, there was talk of the NBL basically not going ahead they were going they were going to fourth of the season for a year and then they ended up going ahead, I think it was with a six or eight team league and, and we ended up winning that. But um, you know, there were some pretty tough times there and to see guys like Todd Blanchfield, um, Chris Goulding, uh you know, Alex Loughton had a great career. These types of guys, that and yourself, um, these types of guys that have seen, you know, taken the good with the bad. Kevin Lish is another one. Um, you know, I'm really happy for those guys, and the quality of play now in Australia is just fantastic. It's um. It's a pleasure to watch, and uh, although you know I'd love to be out there, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying being on the other side of the white lines. Also, speaking
0: of that, pretty much gold gone, cold turkey on basketball in the last two years since you retired, and for the 20 years before that, obviously basketball was pretty much your life. Um, what's it like having a life that's not surrounded by basketball now? Is it is it is it a breath of fresh air? Is it are you starting to miss it? Oh yeah, what's it like?
2: Yeah, it's, um, well, I've got something else to sink my teeth into. Shawnee, I think he, he always, I was always the type of guy that, that lacked balance. Mm. Um, it was just basketball, all basketball. Um, and, you know, I guess I certainly worked on that later on in my career. Um, as, as I evolved as a person, and just other things became, um, became more relevant in my life. And I started spending more time, uh, more, yeah, more time on, I guess, um, areas outside of basketball, which gave me that balance naturally. But I guess I'm going through the same thing now. I'm making up for lost time in, in this particular role that I'm in. And, um, I just want to try and, try and make the most out of this opportunity. So I really haven't had time to, to stop and think and, um, you know, I haven't had time to miss basketball pipes to be honest. I'm um, not the type of person that I don't feel comfortable sitting back and then relaxing. Um, to me, sitting on a beach and reading a book isn't my idea mm-hmm. of fun. I'd, I'd rather be up early, um, grinding mm-hmm. it out in, in anything and, um, you know, just putting in the hours and, and that's my idea of um, enjoyment.
1: No, I think it's uh, been um, been great to uh, great to catch up, Stevie. Um, appreciate the time, uh, giving us an update on on your kind of your career, where you're at. And you know, I think it's always good to kind of catch up with people and, and find their how they kind of do things, looking back on it um, a few years. Um, you know, I think it's it, it's good to kind of reflect on that. So appreciate uh, taking the time. It was great to
0: catch Can up. Can you since you two played in a championship together? Is this as close as a reunion as we're going to get?
1: Well, well, the way the travel's going at the moment, I don't think anyone's going to be going west. Or do you still have your place in Mount? Is it Mount Lolly or Mount Hawthorne?
2: no uh mount lawley yeah funny story about that shawnee and i'd like to hear how both of you are coping with um with you know all of these it's unprecedented Mm. times with with covid19 and yeah i'd love to hear how you're both doing and coping with it but um yeah you wouldn't believe it shawnee i um i had that place on the market for some time it wasn't the best time to sell but look i didn't really have the need to hang on to it any longer and um you know, it's becoming more difficult than, than it needed to be having a place over in Perth, um, not being able to get over there. But uh, it was right around the time I think Damo was starting to, to to break into the real estate industry and um you wouldn't believe it. Um he reached out to me one day and the timing was perfect because we were struggling to get this place sold, and he was young Damo, you know, the new real estate agent on the block, and he, he said, "Stevie, I'll sell it for you." And sure enough, two weeks later, it was it was it was done. So, <laughs> really? Uh, yeah. So Damo sold it for me. I think that was the first house. Yeah, was I think called.
1: it was. That's awesome. Well, what a uh, you know, that's got to be a, a good selling point for Damo to uh, say, "Hey, look, you know this." this how, so how long on the market had it been?
2: Oh, look, I think it had been on the market um, months. Months anyway, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, a, a very desirable property right, right there in the in, in the middle of Mount Lawley, uh, stone's throw yeah. from the main strip there. But um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's just difficult to get a handle on on how the place looks or how it's presented, and um, without actually being there and being able to control it. And yeah. um, and you know, I think once again, it just speaks to uh, how athletes can transition. Um, with the right mindset um, and, and, you know, obviously if the hunger is there, how how well they can transition from, from a, a career in professional sports to life after basketball. And to be honest, I, I think that's what ended up selling the property was just um, how enthusiastic Damo was. And I, I got the sense I didn't go over there or I didn't um, – this was before the times of Zoom conference mm-hmm. calls. I, we did everything via mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I got the sense of how hungry Damo was over the phone to, uh, to get stuck in and to sell that property. And, you know, you, you can't fake that. And people, people feed off it. People understand and, and people feel it. So I think it was um, – I think, yeah, his uh, desire to sell that property certainly, Sean's really got it done in no time. So that That's was the awesome. best no, I, think, I ever made.
1: You know, some people you just know have a personality for that. Um, and Damo's definitely one of them with that small and uh, charming personality for sure.
2: Well, if it takes the same uh, mentality that it does with his defense into his life after <laughs> basketball, I think he'll be fine.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it'll be all right. I think he's doing it right as well. He's kinda of dipping his toes in. I don't I'll be surprised if he plays next year, but at least he's given himself kind of a year, year and a half of getting some experience in and um, you know, he's not starting from scratch, so I think he'll I think he'll do all right. Yeah, no, he's um he's a
2: great guy and um Another one that it was an absolute pleasure to, sh- to have shared the call with him.
1: Yeah, I think we were both uh, better better players uh, when he was on the court with us. Locally. Absolutely.
2: H- how are you going in the current times, guys? Yeah, um, everything's on hold for me. Um, well,
1: I think things are looking pretty positive because so, I run a lot of basketball programs and camps and stuff. So um, hopefully over the next few weeks um, things will open up. But I've just got to take take my son off to play some basketball but um, I'll, um, yeah, it's been good to catch up and I'll, I'll try and give you a call over the next few weeks and, and get a little bit uh, better update. Good to speak with you, Shawnee.
0: Alright, thanks for joining us, Sean but um, yeah, thanks for asking, Stevie and obviously, it's throwing life into a little bit of turmoil from my point of view. Um, uh, I, as you know, most of my income stems from working for either sporting clubs or sporting organisations and they've all pretty much shut up shop for now so um, income's a little bit hard to come by for now but um pretty much just have to hang in there because I I hope that once the sports start up again I'll be able to step back into the same roles that I have but yeah right now it's a lot of a lot of the unknown really and it's a
2: it's a little bit scary but... oh good and I think if um if this has shown us anything it's just how much Australians Care for and love their sporting environment, yeah. Um, yeah, and how much it's dearly missed. So, certainly won't be taking it for granted um, once it comes back
0: and it's in full swing yeah, again. Absolutely, and I mean, from my, from my point of view, I'll let you go because we've taken up a lot of your time, but um, you've always been one of my favourite people to, to deal with and to get the chance in this in his platform it was probably what was it? Probably seven or eight months ago when Sean and I, you know, discussed doing a podcast together and and one of the one of the big factors was for the chance to, to reconnect with people like you who Sean might have lost touch with and, and I, I think I think it's a great thing for for him and, and for, for even for you to you might just not because like all of our lives move in different directions, you just lose touch with people that had a big impact on your previous life. But I think one of the great things we can do here is for people like you and Sean to to reconnect and, and hopefully that's been a been a positive for you too.
2: No, that, it's been great to talk with um, yourself and Sean Pikey. And you're right, life gets in the way, but um, you know if, if COVID's shown us anything, mate, it's that we can yeah. adapt. And uh, well, the beauty of technology allows us to, to catch up from far distances. And uh, yeah, it's been great
0: to hear. Yeah, it's from always you. great to talk to you. You were always so good to me when we worked together at the Wildcats. And then once you left in Adelaide and, and it, especially the last couple of years in Cairns, we spent a fair bit of time, you know, staying in touch and when I was doing some work for the Thai fans as well. So you've always been great to me. It was a great pleasure to watch your whole career unfold, but it's even better for me to now know that you're in a happy place, post-basketball, and yeah, great to hear from you. And I'm sure we'll catch up again soon, but thanks so much for joining us here here on, on Hoops Evans Basketball Hustle. A great time.